Today is December 8th, 2023. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Naganago Mekoche Chestokom Aki or Dakotes Nagotine Siku. My name is Red Thunderwoman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake Tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to as the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name that has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknife Dene. Through my father, I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having a Canadian Indian Act imposed status card, which is a Canadian uh, colonial construct in meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inher inherent rights through policy. So you'll hear me talk about a lot how policies are the reason why we are in the problem we are in. And Canadians are like, oh my God, I want to help people. And they're like, well, if you just listen to us and heard about the policies that are the barriers, maybe you could. So with that, Indigenous Two-Spirit and Indigenous 2 SLGBTQ are and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socioeconomic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. According to the 2023 Quality of Life report from the Calgary Foundation, 31% of racialized Calgarians cannot find suitable unemployment. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, so I just share my own journey. As a Dene woman who has attempted to run and join harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions, just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow for incarceration and denial of justice, denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples, I have work to continue, reports to advocate for, and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my, pe my people, my community. I think of all of this today. I hope we honor the many Indigenous lives lost for this so-called country named Canada. I hope you see your role as in the importance of stopping harm as a citizen and seeing your role in reconciliation as, and as a treaty partner. Pride Month should never just be one month. It's important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating that safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important those land acknowledgements have meaning, as we are seeing with the conflict in Palestine, where you have an occupier and people are like, oh my God, this is some of our mommy. I just have no idea. It's so complex. You know, it's pretty simple. It's like Canada. You have an occupier. And because they refused to acknowledge the treaties that they signed, now we have uh, oppression and we have people being murdered as a result. So I encourage all to introduce themselves with their acknowledgement of their ancestors, stories of dis displacement, and how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee or other land displacement. So we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. 
If you don't know how to pronounce your local indigenous nations names, won't say your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, won't acknowledge imposed economic oppression or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around me, my family, my and uh, my community. Understanding that land acknowledgement and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in Canadian schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians, <laughs> or whatever town you are, show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. That's why we named it Native Calgarian, was to take back that term, because you don't know how ridiculous you sound to me. Um, Jesse Winty's book, Unreconciled, explains that perfectly, as do many Indigenous-authored books. Land Back is a movement that could save the planet from climate change uh, created by colonialism and capitalism, but it would be part of treaty partnership, part of meaningful reconciliation, and honoring global initiatives like the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nisitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Gainai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Good Stoney, Chinakee, Bearspot Nations of the Stoney, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status, and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts. And if you want to hire me, or you can check out my pin posts on social media. So with that, I wanted to introduce my guest today. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself in your way? Sure. Thanks so much, Michelle. Um, my name is Rochelle Naomi. I am currently in Toronto. I was actually born in Toronto. I've done a fair amount of traveling across Canada, both in urban areas and also in Indigenous communities. Um, my registered community is Kittigan Zibi, that's in Quebec. I was not born in Kittigan ZB, nor was I raised in Kittigan ZB, but I am very lucky to have lots and lots of loved ones and friends and have had tons and tons of incredible experiences in community as a result. Unfortunately, with the winter weather, it's a huge deterrent from going back and forth. So I tend to visit and spend a lot more time in the summer. The other half of my history is a settler background. So I was raised predominantly in a British, English, Scottish um, settler environment. So very, very traditionally British, um, but also with a lot of inconsistencies. So um, family, very civically minded, um, educated, active in the arts community. Um, but my, my mother, we grew up in poverty. So back and forth with a lot of inconsistencies and a large variety of lived experiences to be able to pull from. Mm -hmm. So while some of these were really, really challenging, 
a lot of them have provided all kinds of opportunities and doorways and pathways to connections. And I will say, and I wanted to thank Michelle for such an incredible introduction. I can't remember the last time that I've heard somebody provide an introduction that is so in depth that encompasses so many different layers. Um, you did mention, you know, the importance, and I totally agree because you were able to highlight and bring forward all of the different people that have contributed, that you're around, um, your level of knowledge to give people a sense of where you're at. So then they can then consider and reflect where they're at to be able to start to meet in the middle somewhere. And meeting in the middle has definitely been a little bit of a challenge and I would say a struggle. Um, predominantly, I would say more as of late as we kind of work, we have more of like a global connection, um, a national connection, people are reconnecting. How do we meet in the middle authentically? especially when a lot of the Western way is really, really competitive, right? Like you're going to boast, you're going to kind of exaggerate, you're going to highlight like all of your accomplishments and really shy away from sharing any vulnerabilities or any challenges or really sharing your knowledge because it's considered a competitive advantage. And that can often turn into like manipulation and like it's a barrier to trust and leading with this openness really creates an important pathway to connection and relationships. I mean, even in newcomers that are new to Canada in general, when you're introducing and sharing with them, you're able to get a sense of, you know, where they're at with the English language, how well they know their way around the area, how connected they are with resources, you know, what their interests are, so that then you're able to connect um, and support and kind of meet them halfway. And I think that that's really important. And I think especially in um, indigenous communities, there's a lot of um, hesitancy to be really forward and authentic um, because it can be a really, there's a lot of um, judgment and a lot of conflict um, and different levels of understanding without a ton of skills and support, especially from elders as we would have had traditionally, bringing people together in these conversations um, to be able to meet in the middle. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of brings that conversation uh, to where we wanted. I mean, we'd love to have bigger dialogues. We'd love to have panels to talk about these things, but it is very difficult because we don't have the platforms to do that. Um, we've been excluded from mainstream media. We've been excluded from uh, mainstream business. We've been excluded from a lot of these tables. I was excluded as of yesterday from an anti-racism committee that I was a part of. I just updated my LinkedIn to be okay. I guess I'm not a part of this anymore. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a constant issue and it's amazing how many Canadians um, just don't want to see that truth. Um, anyway, you know, one of the reasons why we connected was because as of yesterday, uh, there was a new pretend Indian who had come out and they were a guest on my my podcast a couple of years ago. So, um, you know, and I'm no CBC, I'm no APTN, so I don't have, you know, a legal team to investigate the truth of this. And I don't have uh, resources for a defamation case, but it's going around native Twitter and native, um, 
you know, social media in general. So I'm like, oh, I got to take this person off my my podcast. And, uh, you know, we can reinstate them if they actually come out with some information. But, um, you know, it, it's just another one of those people that misrepresented who they were. They came onto the podcast and it sucks. You know, I don't really take it personally because I'm very like I'm almost 50 very used to Canadians being total jerk offs and I just can't stand them anymore. Um, in my twenties, I really, you know, examined misogyny in my thirties. I really acknowledged, um, kind of walking that whole red road, that whole, um, you know, anti-racism thread of like, what is happening to me all the time that I can't understand it. And now in my forties dealing with colonialism and just, you know, unthreading all of that. And, and hopefully those, you know, three decades being able to teach my my child right away, okay, these are the barriers you're going to face because my white father was not equipped to talk to me about those things other than to show me what not to do. <laughs> so I, I've never met an Indigenous person reconnecting that doesn't have imposter syndrome, uh, myself included. And um, many times, like our people, they're the quickest to be like, you better humble yourself girl you better not represent all of us so that's why like you'll hear me say through my podcast I don't talk for all indigenous people because like our people are fucking vicious and rightfully so we have been nothing but screwed by everybody a million times over for the last 150 years <laughs> so so that that viciousness comes from a survival intergenerational survival and we don't talk about that enough. So, um, you know, you you commented some really great questions. And I thought that this whole, all the questions you had could be a podcast. Um, you asked the question, are there any episodes to discuss the distinction of what it is to be Indigenous? So like, for me, how I, I interpreted that is that in my podcast, which I've done hundreds of, I talk about being First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status. And I talk about that, those distinctions. And then from a global perspective, because I talk about the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous Peoples, I talk about what it is for people to be Indigenous of a certain land and how they have rights. They have sovereignty rights. They have governance rights. They have rights to education. They have rights to their children not being apprehended. You know, all of these things, all these policies that have been imposed on us, right, uh, by by British um, colonialism in general. I mean, Spanish is guilty. So is French. So European colonialism has basically wrecked the world. And now we have climate change. So like that was how I interpreted that. But I want to ask you about what your concept of the distinction of what it is to be Indigenous and and if you wanted to elaborate more on that too. I I actually think it's a little bit more of a personal question. Um, again, I go back to your introduction, which was so in-depth and detailed. Um, it taught as much as it was an opportunity for you to also like open the door and learn as well. And I think for me, when I look at and I consider what it means to be Indigenous, it's really personal. And when I'm in different spaces, I am, or at least I try because nobody's perfect, to be really cognizant of who and how I'm representing and the spaces and the conversation and the tone. And 
I've always seen, you know, my role as, as a global citizen really to be a knowledge sharer, especially, you know, navigating and going between so many different worlds and not holding myself out to, like you said, you know, speak for everybody, but just share conversations, share knowledge, um, connect, you know, different people and different organizations mm -hmm. and be really open about where I'm at. Because for example, if I'm, you know, in Kittigan CB, I am not holding myself out. Like I have all of the knowledge and I know everything that's going on in community. I've never lived there. I have some great relationships and I visit as often as I can, but I am not an expert, you know, when I am there. But if I am, you know, communicating with folks in Toronto about some challenges that exist in community, um, I feel more like I feel a sense of duty and I feel really confident in opening up the conversation and connecting people and sharing my experiences um, and, you know, the knowledge and stories and all of that that I've experienced but I don't hold myself out as somebody that I'm not or that I have knowledge that I don't. I'm very cognizant of where I'm at. And it goes back again to your introduction and really listening and having relationships so that when parties are at a table, people are being authentic with who they are and where they're at and then able to actually have real conversations that aren't based on any false pretenses or any assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's really key. So when it comes to me and what it means to be Indigenous, it's different. If I'm in a corporate setting and somebody is inviting me to speak on a certain topic, for example, residential school survivors, um, you know, hey, you know, Naomi, you're Indigenous, you know, come to this day to speak. I would not feel comfortable. Um, I can schedule a meeting, but, you know, I can do some admin. I can provide an introduction, but that's not my place. What I can do is reach out to my connections and, you know, suggest or ask for people that can speak on this topic and share and that would be interested. Um, and I find more often than not in certain circumstances, there are people that are invited to speak and because they're invited, um, and I don't necessarily want to assign any malicious intent here, um, but if you're invited to speak on something or invited to participate in something, it's okay <laughs> to decline and refer and connect to other people if there are other people and connections that would be able to share more knowledge and more connections than you do. It's okay to collaborate. Um, you know, I don't believe in, you know, holding knowledge and withholding it and, you know, kind of trying to silo things in that way. But I, I don't. If somebody's asking me to speak on things or participate in things just because, you know, I have a status card, just because I'm Indigenous, that it, it's inauthentic. And I don't necessarily have the experiences to be able to speak or, or share authentically. But what I do have are the connections to be able to open doors and connect parties that do. So I believe we all have a duty and responsibility if we are white passing, if we are in different settings to, you know, pass the talking stick, you know, pass. <laughs> and maybe it's an opportunity to step back and learn rather than speak. You know, I, 
I 100% agree. In a perfect world, 100% agree. What I find the barriers are is that, um, and, and they're very insulting because our society is so racist and our society is so colonial. What I find is that um, you, you're not worth paying, I'm not worth paying, and an elder is not worth paying. Or um, I've got, you know, uh, maybe a couple of hundred dollars once for a whole day's uh, amount of work when there's like a standard of what it should be. And for elders, I think the standard is way too low. You know, like if you're not willing to spend the money to have knowledge holders, you're, you're obviously inauthentic in what you really want to know. You want to extract information from us in our community without compensation, despite the fact we're on the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, despite the land that like is stolen and they get to economically uh, benefit from it. And we don't have that voice. We don't have uh, uh, any voice actually. So I, I have a hard time, um, you know, wanting to bring an elder who I love and respect into a space that I know they won't be compensated for, they won't be appreciated, and their words will not be heard. Um, in my land acknowledgement teachings, I give the example of um, the, the UFC has a wonderful land acknowledgement with uh, Reg Crowshoe, Dr. Reg Crowshoe, just speaking. Way back before the TRC was released, I, I remember like Calgary's the worst at doing land acknowledgements. Always have been. We're the last to do it. So when they they had this like uh, political conference and they asked me to come, so I did. And I did a land acknowledgement first and foremost when I was given the mic. And uh, I got tweeted at from uh, the BC uh, poli uh, students the most. This is the first time we've heard a land acknowledgement at this conference. It was a five-day conference. It was a Sunday. It was at the end of it. 90% had left and gone to the airport. And that was their first land acknowledgement that they had heard. Um, and then I think of, you know, Dr. Reg Kroshu speaking in that land acknowledgement, talking about, you know, the process of natural law and talking about birth and, and giving birth. And because Canadians don't know what a land acknowledgement is and they don't understand the gravity of it, I watched a man, um, you know, 50-year-old oil guy, roll his eyes at this, right? So for me, what I learned in that moment was you can bring in a Dr. Reg Kuroshu to do a land acknowledgement, but the audience is so vicious and racist that they're not ready to understand their partnership as, a, as treaty partners. So I've... I want to bring in the best voices for some of these conversations. Um, but at the same time, I really do believe a lot of Canada is vicious to our people and especially our elders. And, and then to not compensate them, it is very difficult to have these meaningful conversations because ultimately our own people are excluded for a reason. And it's so that other people who are our colonizers can come in, exploit the land, take the money and leave without caring about dirty water, without caring about, you know, nuclear waste. They don't care about those things. They just leave it out for us to clean up, right? So it, it is a really difficult, um, you know, navigation. And I, I know uh, I've heard Calgary Foundation folks call it edge walking, where it's like you're walking on an edge of trying to talk to non-Indigenous while not disrespecting your people. 
and and that is a really difficult challenge so you know it, it's funny because like your comment that you you put on one post in on my site it's like this is the first question and and it's so hard to have dialogue on social media because if that was the first question and it's resulted in two people like talking at this length right like back to your idea that we'd love to see panel discussions etc it's like Absolutely. We would love to see that. I mean, we have less than a million registered status natives. Um, I have to work really hard to try to reclaim who I am, learn my language, um, to go back and live where where our land is <laughs> with dirty water, uh, unfair policies, no jobs. You know, it, it's it's a mess right now. I would love to be that person, but I, I can't. And had I grown up there, I don't know if I'd be here right now. Because you and I both know that how how desperate some of those situations can be and how trauma can end up causing issues that don't allow you to live this life right now. It's uh, it's very difficult with such poor government policies and Canadian po populace so ignorant on the issues. So, um, yeah. Do you want to reflect on that before we move to the second question? Definitely. Uh, I think it's important that we call it what it is. It's racism. Um, to answer, you know, your your question or respond a little bit more directly. What's gotten me through a really a few really hard situations in a few moments is tuning into other documentaries and other biopics um, of other leaders of other movements and hearing and learning what they went through, you know, their unwavering, you know, strength and their resiliency, because it's not easy. It's not easy. And it is racism. And it is hard to speak up. And that's why I think this topic of pretendism is so important, because it is inauthentic for me to avoid having that conversation when a large part of my life, I am in certain spaces where elders of, a, of another demographic are paid exorbitantly higher amounts because of their race. They're being paid exorbitantly higher amounts because they have experience and connections. But indigenous elders, to your point, have exorbitant levels of lived experience and connections and are not being compensated or acknowledged or revered to the same extent. And if we take some comparable situations and instances and compare them if in, with other situations and in other demographics, it is absolutely racist mm -hmm. and it is challenging and it does take a lot of work. And not everybody is going to be up to the task or have the skills and you know is going to be able to move mountains and one conversation is absolutely not going to change things mm -hmm. you know difficult conversations will always be difficult does that mean that they aren't worth attempting that they aren't worth having you know how do we learn and how do we move forward without you know stumbling and making a few mistakes and it looking ugly mm. you know do i risk you know, some of my relationships, if I share knowledge, potentially, yeah. but it's also on me to keep learning and expanding my skills to be able to create safe spaces and to speak to audiences that are in front of me rather than, you know, audiences that I wish were in front of me. 
right? Mm -hmm. And be able to meet in the middle and have these conversations and say, okay, you know, we're having this event, you know, elders are coming, you know, last month, however, you know, we had so-and-so from such and such university and we paid them this amount. So how was this different, you know, with this situation? Mm -hmm. And it's a lot easier for people like me who have, I don't want to say no trauma and it's not triggering because it is, but it is, pardon language, a hell of a lot less triggering for somebody like me with my experiences and my position to be able to point out this information and have these conversations and open the dialogue because I can share information and different perspectives on both sides. Am I going to be challenged? Most likely, yes, absolutely. But then if I stand with integrity and go back and forth and share in an honest and earnest way, and I don't hold myself out to be an expert and I don't avoid, you know, for personal gain or to avoid personal like persecution, and it's approaching things with love and trying to move forward in a good way, it's a completely different conversation. And if I'm approaching these conversations because I want to fit in or I have something to prove or, you know, there's something there that, you know, I'm trying to hold on to or achieve or attain, that's inauthentic. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't reflect my values. And the situation with a lot of pretendians is I, I can imagine, like, I like especially when I was younger, especially when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, like avoiding having conversations because I didn't know how somebody was going to react and I didn't know how to have that conversation. And, you know, I would have conversations and then there would be backlash and then there would be back and forth and it would just create a... But I've learned as the years go on, you know, that life doesn't end. Um, I can be accountable and I can be honest. Um, intent is important. And I, if I'm kind, you know, towards others and I create a space that people feel, you know, where they can be open and honest, um, that's usually extended to me too. Um, but that's where I think that this pretendian issue is so, so, so important because who better to be having these conversations and opening these doors and building these bridges than us? And it's not easy. But is it any easier for those that are actually in community with less resources to be able to get by on a day-to-day basis? It absolutely isn't. So is it fair for us to be, you know, only using resources when it's an advantage? I mean, I have a lot of experience where I can use any resource, any support, like I know how to access it. I need it. (laughs) I, you know, I can relate. But to that point and to that extent, when I've accessed those and I've utilized this, the onus is on me to then like pass the torch and share the knowledge and share the information and mentor and pass it along like it has been done for me. You know, it's inauthentic and it's disrespectful and it goes against our teachings for me to hold it out and hold it just for myself and not give back and to not share. And a lot of people that are accessing these resources, even if perhaps they do need some financial help, are not then using it and going back to communities and going back to people to share and strengthen ties. You know, they're they're avoiding, you know, doing doing the work and having harder conversations And people can tell when you're being, you know, inauthentic and you're not community minded and 
you know, you lack the ability to trust or to be trusted. I mean, it's really clear people have intuition. And I think that's what it really comes down to. And that's why it's so hard to have this conversation, because it involves so much vulnerability about, you know, how to navigate these things and, you know, our insecurities and, you know, where we're at, like, a lot of people do need help. And it's hard to ask for help. Right. So, how do you do that? And then the finger pointing, you know, it's it's absolutely not easy. But again, those of us like me have a duty to give back. Yeah, agreed. Wow. Um, so one of the the second question you asked is uh, advice for folks that are realizing they are misrepresenting on how to take accountability and why it's important and ways to open up the dialogue. So I, I want to ask you what you meant by that. I think that if I look back to periods of time when, when I was younger, and I might kind of know, right, like I might have said something or done something, whether it's at work or school or in a friend group, and somebody makes a comment, and I have like a gut reaction. I don't even necessarily have thoughts, but if I think back, you know, somebody says something and it's like triggering. And then I'm ruminating and I'm thinking, and it's because maybe my like intent was misinterpreted or maybe it was properly interpreted and I've been, you know, inauthentic, like, you know, there's some type of discrepancy and it's distracting, right? Like it's hitting, but the person or the group or whoever's broached it hasn't really brought it forth in a way where, you know, we're we're engaging really at this point it's just like exploration and and I'm thinking about it if that's where we're at and that's where I'm at I think back to those times I didn't have the skills or the confidence to be able or to even know that it was a possibility for me to circle back and say hey so-and-so you know how's it going uh you know you mentioned this earlier you know I just wanted to check in Here's, you know, how I interpreted this, you know, this statement or this question. Um, is that how you meant? And then wait for a response and then be able to, to reply. You know, I didn't realize that's what the impact was or, you know, you're right. That was the impact, but I didn't realize this. And, you know, going forward, I'm committed to this. You know, I really had no idea that I could, you know, I, I could, I could be accountable. I could knock on someone's door. I could pick up the phone. I could send a text. I could send an email and just say, Hey, you know, something hasn't really been sitting right. I want to have a chat, you know, rather than, you know, having side conversations with family members, friends who really don't understand the context or don't know how that other person feels right. And stirring up, you know, more miss you know interpretations and assumptions and gossip I can just go directly to that person because they're the ones that have the answers and if they're not sure about something I can then provide it and I have more information to go on and specifically in this in this situation with pretendians the best people to have those conversations right now are those closest to us because it's already been identified that this is an issue but what hasn't really been identified more clearly is why it's a problem. And if people don't understand what the problem is, it's pretty challenging to be able to solve it and address it um, and, you know, just, just clear it all away. 
And who better to have these conversations than the people that are closest to us, because they know how we communicate, they know what's going on, they know our connections, they're closest to us. So they're going to be able to, you know, open those doors and have that dialogue and create a safe space rather than complete strangers for the most part. But Mm -hmm. I mean, the onus would be on creating a safe space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going back to, you know, what I said earlier, a lot of these things are not going to be solved in one conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't get to where where I'm at. And like you said, like you didn't get to where you're at, you know, with like one learning experience in one place, you know, with one realization, one conversation through one person. There's so many different layers over time. And there's so many different stories and reasons as to why this is an issue and what the impacts are. And when people can, you know, take some time to acknowledge what the impacts are, they're in a much better place to then acknowledge where they're at in relation to these impacts to be able to respond authentically. Because if we're relying on the media or strangers to say what the issue is and why, you know, this is important, it might not hit home for a lot of folks who aren't at that level of communication, don't have those experiences, don't have that understanding, don't have the access to different platforms, uh, don't have the competency. I mean, from my understanding, a lot of these people that are pretendians they are coming from a place where they feel disconnected and inadequate. So if these people are already feeling, you know, like they lack confidence and they lack connection, they're not coming from a place where they feel confident that, you know, they can, you know, represent themselves authentically because they lack that authenticity. So coming to them, you know, with problems that they don't, really they can't conceptualize they don't really understand they're not going to be able to solve them or respond um right away you know there's a lot like oh there's lots of money it's government money oh you know it doesn't matter who cares there's lots to go around you know whatever um you know you need to build a business on your own you think you know like there's all kinds of different conversations so again i go back to okay who better to have some of these conversations than those closest to us that can point out more specifically the privileges that these people do have because you do have a lot of privilege in these situations you know i had to have conversations with my mother who you know in very certain situations is a pretendian you know feels like in some you know past life that she was indigenous and she absolutely isn't and having to point over and over again you know, you're choosing this because it's convenient now. You're choosing this because you want healing. You're choosing this because you've met a couple of Indigenous friends that you connect with. These are all choices, but you don't experience the racism. You know, you have an, you, you, you can choose, you know, mm-hmm. the large majority of those in community don't get to choose. It's not a choice. Like this is what's been handed. This is the reality. Yeah. It's not a choice. And everybody has privilege to some extent. 
So it's not the same. It's a completely different situation. And going back to what we said earlier, I can choose to speak up or not. That's a huge privilege. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm starting to get emotional, but like the large majority of communities don't have the choice to be able to speak up. They don't have the opportunity. They're not at the table. Mm-hmm. So everybody has different privileges and only looking at, you know, what the weaknesses are and what the negatives are and what the needs are and why you're deserving of support and understanding is really inauthentic because as much grief and trauma and life experience and challenges that are in my back, I have just as much to be proud of, to be grateful for, to look forward to, to acknowledge, to share, like they're equal. And we're not being authentic about, you know, both sides and being balanced. It's it's incredibly inauthentic mm-hmm. because so many people do not even have, they don't even know where to find the door. And if the door was open, what to say or how to have these conversations. Yeah, no, I see it. And I, I struggled. I struggled uh, for decades on that. So I, I respect what you're saying there. I know exactly how difficult it is. I I think about the one episode that I had with my mom uh, was really short. She didn't put a lot out there. And, um, but I really saved it as one of those things that if you're not a patron account supporter, you can't hear it because um, she's not used to advocating for herself at all. And we really have been struggling with that now that she's older and having severe health issues. You know, she'll sit there in pain and sit there in pain and I just want to have well I'm on high blood pressure pills for a reason (laughs) it's that reason (laughs) and uh and and my brother he just recently um had emergency surgery and you know it's funny you were talking about trying to talk to your mom about her privilege that's another reason why I have high blood pressure is trying to talk to my dad about his privilege but you know at the end of the day, when it matters, he 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 doesn't say it. He won't say it out loud. But for example, when my brother had emergency surgery, he immediately rushed to the hospital and stayed there for days so that, you know, a white ma- male retired boilermaker in a hospital with his native son, my family has nothing but great things to say about the care they received. And I know it's because my, my dad went and I... Um, I personally, the first time I was really hit with systemic racism was when I gave birth to my daughter and, uh, we planned on having a far bigger, um, family, but the trauma that I experienced from that just did not leave me there. But the upside is I did work with Manmeet Bular and we got midwifery funded as a result. And now as of today, you see so much indigenous midwifery happening in Alberta. Um, but now with Daniel Smith's new let's let's jig up the house system I don't know if that's going to continue but regardless there was a window from 2007 to well 2008 May of 5th 2008 was when it, it got instituted to today 2023 that all of those midwifery births were at least funded by the government and that that will always make me feel really good about it but at the end of the day I I never had more children as a result of the racism I experienced. And I had to spend a decade trying to unpack that racism, systemic racism and what that looked like, because I we're not taught this in school. <laughs> and my mom, she does not have the words to explain it either, even though when I look back, 
all of the issues of systemic racism that she has faced. And I've tried to talk to her about it, but she's not there. And I don't think she will ever be there. So um, it's uh, it's very difficult to have these conversations and talk about what misrepresentation is, what accountability is and such when, I mean, my Indigenous family, like, they're just trying to survive. My um, white side of the family, they're working class and they're, you know, in a very racist environment of colonialism. And they're like, well, it's not easy for us either. So, you know, that that ignorance, that unwillingness to want to learn more. Right. So it's like, no wonder I have high blood pressure because it's like, you know what it is now, at least at least now I have the words like you were saying that you look to other leaders. I I, I look to books. Um, I know a lot of, uh, of black authors, especially don't like that book, White Fragility, because it's written from a white person's point of view, but it absolutely changed my life. It helped me really find the words of what it was I was experiencing, uh, racial battle fatigue, et cetera. So like, I, I hope that that adds to this conversation. And again, pretend Indians, they don't know this. <laughs> They don't, they don't need to know, know any of this. They don't have to experience it. Um, it's and- a choice. It's what you said about your father. He made the choice to go because he knew it was important. So again, it goes back to taking the time and committing to taking the time to yeah. regularly reflecting and acknowledging where you're at and that that is just your experience and your reality and not necessarily the reality and the experiences of others and not just that but looking at where you're at now and where you came from because everybody is somewhere now but no that's not where they started this is where I'm at now is absolutely not where I started so it's also inauthentic for me to hold myself out as this is how it's always been and I've always been this confident and connected and had these tools and been self-assured and I mean still I have hours and days every other hour a day you know where it's not you know consistent confidence and assurance for sure but I got here over time so you know we all have tools and skills and connections that we can share with one another you know you mentioned your working class family they have things that they can share. And the Indigenous community also has things that they can share. Everybody has knowledge and experiences that nobody else has. They're unique and they are special and they are gifts. And when we start to look at each other as holding value, even if we don't see it, it's an opportunity to seek it out and learn and engage and have a conversation. But if we're not authentic about where we're at, we can't even get to that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, you talked about times where your pride and ego were barriers in communication. Um, did you want to elaborate on that at all? Sure. Um, I think I mentioned earlier too. I mean, there's certain situations for sure. You know, when I was in high school, especially and in my early 20s, where uh, I definitely withheld any vulnerabilities and I started reflecting on this a lot more recently because you know I've, I've had different experiences I've gone through ups and downs and it would be really inauthentic for me um you know just to hold myself out as you know being able to connect with people having the confidence to have difficult conversations being able to apologize 
um, seeing the importance of re repairing certain relationships, you know, so um, when I say specifically, you know, my ego can be a barrier, like, let's say I've committed to, I would have committed to going to something or giving something or showing up, um, or I wanted a certain grade. And for some reason, due to life experience, it could be some emergency or something happened. I wasn't able to, you know, follow through on my commitments. You know, I said I was going to go to somebody, you know, somebody's child's birthday and I didn't go because maybe I had a fight with somebody. Maybe I didn't have the money to buy a gift. Who knows what the situation is, but rather than reaching out and saying, Hey, I can't make it or, Hey, I'm sorry. I couldn't make it or, Hey, I wanted this grade, but this is what prevented me from studying or whatever the situation is basically communicating where I'm at, what I can offer, what I need, um, essentially what the barriers are to what commitment I made and what somebody else, else's expectation was or what their understanding was, right? Like even in a conversation, um, being able to, you know, say, hey, I'm sorry I misunderstood you. I thought, you know, this was your intent. But when I was younger, I saw that as like a personal attack and I didn't have like the clarity or the experience to be able to sit back and realize, okay, maybe technically it is a personal attack, um, you know, on my abilities, on my capabilities, on, you know, my desire, on my values. But it's also an invitation to engage and connect and learn and share. And when people are sharing things, sometimes they might be going through things that contribute to how they're communicating. You know, maybe they haven't slept, maybe they're not feeling good, maybe they've had bad news. So for me to assume and interpret that their tone or the words that they're using are, you know, overly personal, that's another barrier. Um, I mean, maybe they are really, really upset, but maybe there's also contributing factors. So then that also results in me avoiding having the conversation because I don't understand why they could be so angry because I didn't do that or I'm not sure or I don't understand. So I don't want to deal with all this anger and this misunderstanding because I just I don't know what they're talking like. You don't even know. How do you approach all of, all of those emotions when that wasn't your intent and or maybe you're feeling weak and vulnerable? That's a pretty big gap. And what really turned the corner for me is like, as I continue into adulthood and having so many life altering experiences where literally like the rug is just pulled out from under you and you fall flat on your face, um, where like, I couldn't even lift up my hand and ask for help. People would be coming and just telling me what I need. And eventually as I started to get stronger, because people would reach out and help and support, I got better at, you know understanding what's available and being able to communicate yes I have that no I need that and be able being able to advocate for myself but before any of those life experiences which honestly like one of them was I had depression I never like I thought okay yeah go to the gym eat right have you know all of the self-care right my whole 20 self-care 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 I had a whole bunch of life experiences hit me around the time I was 30 I had to call my mom. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't even make myself a cup of coffee for a month. She was helping take care of my son. I had to get blood work. It took me three days to leave the house. I wasn't showering. And people that know me would be dumbfounded. Mm -hmm. And 
the amount of compassion and grace that that experience and other similar experiences have provided me with now to be able to interact with other people without shame or stigma and the assumption that they don't care or they're unable or they don't know because I I was more than capable before that experience and then that happened and I needed help like I I couldn't do it you know it takes a community it takes a village and if I had been in ego and you know refused all of that who knows where I would have ended up if I kept pushing people away and avoiding having conversations and not taking, you know, the risk to repair certain relationships. Um, Because there's times where people have reached out to me, and we've been able to repair things. And there's other times where I know, and I get the sense that people are struggling with having the skills to reach out to me or to reconnect. And I make the first move because it's important and it's not about who's right or who has more skills or who should be doing it or, you know, whose job it is. It, it's about like the end goal and connection and community and, you know, everybody having a seat at the table and being their full selves. Hmm. I really think you just explained what being trauma informed is really well, like, boom, there it is. And, and I, you know, I, I have uh, in my resources talking about encouraging people to understand what being trauma informed is and what internalized racism is. And I think that you touched on that indirectly quite well on both. So um, I really appreciate that. And in relations to pretend Indians, um, what do you think about their pride and ego as barriers in communication? And we're seeing that, like, especially with this Buffy St. Marie, where she put out her statement, and therefore that needs to be enough, and we all need to accept it. And uh, her community now is defensive, upset, um, you know, hurt, respectfully understand why. Uh, so I, I just want to bring that pride and ego as barriers and communications in regards to pretend Indianism as well. Well, Buffy St. Marie and, you know, that incident a couple of months now was a really great opportunity for me to learn because I did not grow up as a Buffy St. Marie fan whatsoever. Um, I have, you know, vague knowledge at best. Um, you know, watch the odd documentary interview, know a couple of quotes, you know, one of many, but certainly not, you know, a personal hero or a fixture um, of significance in my life whatsoever. So <laughs> I considered myself like a complete outsider and a complete observer and a student of the situation. So I took it upon myself to, you know, kind of dig around and look at, you know, information, you know, on all sides and read and try to understand. And I kept asking more and more questions. And then when I would have questions, I'd go and I would search for the answer. And the question that I've been left with as a result is, if this individual is a revered leader, how do their actions and their words compare to that of other historical leaders that have been persecuted and attacked? And from my you know, experience, the large majority 
of, you know, revolutionary, you know, extraordinary leaders of our past is that their strength and their commitment to, you know, community is unwavering. It doesn't end. It doesn't stop. It doesn't, it doesn't matter because there is a certain fire within and there is another driving force. And in this situation specifically, that has been absent since, you know, the beginning of this person's life, you know, throughout their career and even today. And if I put myself in that position and I had made those same choices but I was now in that role today, right? Like, let's pretend I'm just transported and now I'm Buffy St. Marie. I don't know if I could live with myself knowing all of the pain, hurt, and trauma that was occurring, whether I directly caused it or indirectly caused it. I would feel so much, um, I would just be called to action to do something, start a conversation, provide support that is bringing people together in a good way and that is promoting learning and not, um, you know, just taking, um, I guess, you know, the whole, the whole focus has been on, you know, personal impacts rather than, um, you know, that of community and I think that that's really important because this person has held themselves out as you know a community leader and again I go back to you know studying other leaders you know connecting with other people their strength and their love for people is unwavering they can be shot they can be on the hospital they can be in hiding like they can be in poverty you know they can be you know all kinds of life circumstances and the duty to, you know, their their mission and to people is unwavering. And I I I can comment and comment on, um, you know, the privilege of that individual. But I think if we want to keep it simple, um, I don't see that that duty or that that love or that commitment, and I don't feel it. Mm. Well, thank you. Um, two last statements that you'd said. Obviously, there will be some outli- outliers that are restless or oblivious. And I hope the majority would be open to listening and learning, though. Uh, Did you want to elaborate on any of those? You've done a pretty good job of communicating how you felt with the first little bit. So, Well, I mean, we can build off of, you know, the Buffy St. Marie example as a starting point. And, you know, even if, you know, the, the birth certificate is, you know, not necessarily valid or it's been amended or so on and so forth. If we look at the facts and what's been admitted as true and, you know, acceptable as true, this individual had significantly more privilege than that of almost every other Indigenous person um, in the world, right? Like they had a roof over their head. They had a safe environment. You know, they had siblings. They had two parents. You know, they had food on the table. They had consistent access to education. They were able to travel, you know, they were white passing. Um, They didn't have, you know, day-to-day struggles, survival, wondering, you know, what was going to happen from one day to the next. They were university educated. 
So they already had so much privilege to start with that has still not been acknowledged. And there are the large majority of community does not have that amount of privilege. And even if you do, it is really important to acknowledge that because there are other individuals, you know, that are in lineups for different awards and, you know, different events and, and different acknowledgements and in different arenas that started off in very different places. So to not acknowledge and not support and, and not be really forthcoming about, okay, you know, maybe you did have some struggles, maybe you were disconnected, even if everything that's being said is true, you know, there's a lot of arrogance and there's a lot of privilege and there's still an opportunity for learning. I mean, nobody knows everything, you know, we're, we're all learning all the time. Mm -hmm. So again, like I like it's, it's relentless. Like it doesn't end, you know, there's obviously people that, you know, want some answers and that are hurting and are feeling confused and this unrelentless, you know, I'm the one that matters. It's my story. You know, you figure it out. You know, I'm the most important, like this oneness, like the unrelenting, you know, my experience is the experience. My experience is the only experience. My experience is special. You need to understand my experience. And above, above all else, rather than, you know, taking the stance, you know, there's many different experiences. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, my registered community, there's, often on all kinds of different situations and circumstances. But more recently, there was um, a cafe or a restaurant that was opening up. And, you know, there was different news articles locally and a little bit more urban, you know, saying, hey, there's this Indigenous cafe, restaurant, you know, it's getting all kinds of buzz. There's pictures, you know, it's very trendy. It's in all the media. And they're saying that they're from Kittigansi. And nobody has heard about this individual, you know, there's more and more news articles and, you know, mm -hmm. the names of things are just insane. Like, I don't know, like you can look it up if you want, and I'm sure you can dig into it, but the it was all tokenism. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't actually any real connection. It was all tokenism. Yeah. So again, it goes back to, you know, when it's convenient and the unrelentingness of this individual when asked, hey, you know, how are you related? How are you connected? And, you know, just this refusal of it's my restaurant, it's my money, it's my name, I can do what I want. And the back and forth when people are just wondering, hey, you know, what's going on? And honestly, and the right to do so, because I don't remember off the top of my head, but if you look at the name, the names of all of the menu items and the names of the restaurant, and the different, you know, decorations inside, it's very obvious that this person is disconnected. And it's also very obvious that they're not an authority, they're not a knowledge keeper, this isn't inherent, this isn't life experience, you know, this is like ticking a box because it's trendy. Yeah. And very, very unrelenting, you know, and unwilling to accept like, hey, you know, there are other people that could offer more, that I could collaborate with and that have other experiences, like really unwilling to even have a conversation. Mm -hmm. And it was just shocking, but also unsurprising because mm -hmm. if I put myself in, you know, the shoes of that individual, 
I think that the pressure from media to respond, the pressure from, you know, an entire community to respond, the pressure to have a conversation about pretendism, you know, the amount of money, I'm sure, you know, that was at risk, you know, to start a business, you know, yeah. the patrons, you know, the drama in your family and community. I can only imagine that that would be really challenging for that person, you know, to navigate. So I, you know, I have some compassion, but again, I go back to what we were talking about earlier. Somebody in my position is, is in the best position to have these conversations. Are they easy? No. Are they difficult? Yes. Will they move us forward? Yes. Will it be inch by inch? Most likely, yes. But there are countless amazing Indigenous culinary chefs with, you know, different cafes, you know, catering businesses, you know, local businesses in, you know, Kittigan ZB, in Rapid Lake that have been in existence for many, many years. And they don't have the same access to resources and capital, yeah. right? Like even just because of day-to-day -day life. So filling out a loan application, filling out a grant application, you know, finding a graphic designer, you know, touring different spaces across the region, you know, filling out, you know, funding and leases and, you know, connecting with media and having all of that support and being able to get the support of other investors and have those conversations, like the work that goes they don't have those opportunities, but they have the authentic knowledge, you know, they have the connections, um, the food is incredible. And why wasn't it, you know, thought of to say, hey, why don't I connect with community? Because I do, you know, I do want to acknowledge my roots and I do want to reconnect. So how can I connect with community? And, you know, can we have community feast? You know, can we hire some people from community? Can we use consultants on the menu? You know, can we consult? Maybe this is a good opportunity to reconnect and to build together and to show how this can be done. You know, there are ways. So I, I definitely have a lot of compassion for this individual. But on the same hand, you know, avoiding these, you know, challenging conversations and avoiding being accountable is is not reducing the harm. You know, it's not a path forward um, and it's not healing because the situation still isn't resolved. You know, the conversation is still kind of, you know, going, you know, under the surface. And it always will. So by avoiding having these conversations and addressing them, mm -hmm. it's not, you know, solving the problem. It's, it's, it's underlying. And the more underlying issues that continue to mount, the harder it is to like address and move forward. So the earlier yes. we start just having a conversation, even if we don't know the answers or we don't know what someone's going to ask, we can always say, great question. I, I'm going to have to think on that and spend some time yeah. and go back and respond. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with saying, Hey, wow, you've brought something forward that I should consider. And I want to consider, and mm -hmm. I want to provide you with an answer yep. and doing that. There's nothing wrong with that. I do know the uh, restaurant you're talking about because I remember when it came up and I was like, what the heck, man? Um, one of the the leaders of the convoy, her name is Tamara Lutlich, 
and she is claiming Métis status now, right? Now now that she she is in legal trouble, right? She wants her Gladue reports and she wants to uh, you know, claim claim Métis status and such. So um and, and everything you were just kind of talking about, I was thinking about her and how that could apply to her too. Um, not that you were imposing that, but in, in my mind, it's like, you know, I wish people understood that this is the problem when, uh, so, and there was another leader named, named Pat King, and he misused one of our elders, our Dene elders from Cold Lake. And, uh, you know, now she, she has to deal with that as well. And um, so it, everything that you just talked about, I wish they would both self-reflect on, but also their followers, right? Um, for for how they caused harm and trauma to the indigenous community with with the way they misused us in in their you know anti-government. Because I mean, we have a reason to be anti-government, but for a very different reason, and to not highlight you know treaty responsibilities, accountability to treaty, et cetera, et cetera. Like they had an opportunity there, and they chose not to do it as pretend Indians do um but that said like if they are authentically indigenous you know trying to relearn how to be how to reclaim in a better way right like there's nothing more happy for me than in 20 years saying you know Pat King and Pat and Tamara Lich reclaimed who they were did ceremony worked in the community and did positive things That, that would make me so happy same with Buffy St. Marie you know, in, in 10 years, if she can be like, man, I got to do this and this and this and, and, and started working on that, that would be amazing. Um, I, I think as somebody like Joseph Boyden, who was called out, and then I haven't seen any of that work being done yet. Right. So that, that is the work we'd like to see. And, and even for me, like, um, I, I felt compelled to take down that um, episode because if people are searching for that person, that name, and they stumble upon my podcast, um, you know, I feel I, I don't get money from the government. I don't uh, get I, I don't do this for clicks. I don't do this for you know what I like that. That's my authentic uh, compass of it's like, OK, I'm not here to be the news either. Um, I'm here to to advocate for policy change and like that's it I, w- I want the world better for my daughter I want the the world better for the next generations because that's my um you know ethics my compass is where where I'm coming from not to uh you know the media they have that that duty to get those clicks to get people to come to them and you know I, I regularly get ads from marketers from even the social medias, the Facebooks and the and the TikToks, like, oh, you know, you can promote this and this and this. And it's like, ooh, that's that like that feels wrong. That's that's dirty. I don't want to be a part of that. So, you know, we're I'm I'm constantly learning, trying to take accountability for for what I need to do. And I really appreciate you coming on and and just taking this comment that you posted and elaborating so wholesomely on it so that people understand like this is part of the reason why I need a podcast, because when we're talking about a major issue like this, people don't have context. They don't understand. Um, you know, again, I give these resources and I, so often I, I know people don't even read them because 
if they did, <laughs> they wouldn't have posted or commented this. So then I have to delete it or hide it or whatever. Right. So, and, uh, and I knew you were authentic in what you wanted to say. So I'm like, this person would be a good guest. We can talk about these issues and how they're, they're really affecting us as people because, at the end of the day, I open up my social media, I see who passes in our community, I see, um, you know, the newest restaurant that, uh, you know, became a token, I, I see the new celebrity that is no longer Indigenous, and, and it's just like, Ugh. that's what's weighing on me too, right, that racial battle fatigue, so I really appreciate you, uh, you know, commenting on, on our social media, but also coming onto this episode that, so that we could authentically talk about it because I know everybody's like, you got to name them. And I'm like, no, I really don't because I don't need defamation uh, lawsuits, one. And two, if they do the work, I can restore, restore the uh, podcast. Like that. that's it. It's easy. But uh, well, right now I can't even reach them. So <laughs> well, to your point though I'm not I'm not convinced the extent to which the name is the most important part what you said earlier to finish off again for those that are okay where do we take this what's going on um you know you said there's different points there's different similarities and in order for anybody to learn um no you're not going to get it the first time you're going to read you're going to listen you're going to have to pull from different situations you're going to have to find patterns that's what learning is. It's not going to be, you know, one person or solving this one by one or one conversation or, you know, one book or one article. Um, you know, everybody learns at a different rate and a different pace. Um, so I, you know, encourage the conversation to continue in a respectful way. Um, and, you know, those that have large audiences like Buffy, um, who has the largest audience right now and is completely silent. Um, she's not the only one that has a large audience and that is silent. So consider your audience, um, consider the impact, and who knows where it will be. Thanks mm -hmm. a lot, Michelle. Oh, I'm really honored that you come on. Thank you so much. And just know you're welcome back anytime. And especially if you have any uh, particular things that you want to talk about or promote, you're always welcome back. And and if you want to have a discussion about the newest thing that happened, <laughs> that we opened up our Facebook and went, oh my God, <laughs> you're awesome. welcome to come back. So yeah, thank you for coming on. And I appreciate it. And I, I welcome you to uh, listen as I do my closing. And, and thank you so much again for coming. Perfect. Thanks again. Great. So uh, for folks who are authentically here to learn, we've had the Indigenous Book Club going since 2016. It's been online since 2020. If you're interested in um, collaborating and be a part of our book club, it's every second Monday of each month. So we do one a month and it's the second Monday uh, from 630 Mountain Time until about eight o'clock, 830 mountain time. So you're more than welcome. And if you if that time frame does not work, uh, please don't hesitate to listen to it on the podcast. And then second of all, if you are listening because you want to be a good Indigenous ally, or if you're Indigenous and you're trying to reclaim who you are, you know, of course, you want to learn those things, start your own book club. I mean, I literally started my book club because I'd have a stack of books that I I needed to schedule to read. And I, I want that for everybody. So um, you're welcome to join us in our book club, Indigenous People Speak First, and then uh, and settlers get to learn and listen. So um and also, if you're like wanting to do actual action, 
because what happened is that once people learned they wanted to act, uh, we created the Reconciliation Action Group that came out of the Lange of a Name Change Group and just kind of evolved from there. So I recommend that anybody listening anywhere start your own Reconciliation Committee or join an existing one that's Indigenous-led because these are important conversations if we're really going to start moving that needle inch by inch. I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included cultural safety or cultural first aid and all of them to create that safer space for Indigenous people, people of color, those with disabilities, and 2SLGBTQ to speak. According to the 2023 Quality of Life report from the Calgary Foundation, 88% of racialized Calgarians feel uncomfortable or out of place because of their religion, ethnicity, skin color, culture, language, accent, gender, or sexual orientation, which is up from 75% in 2022. And I would argue now that the Palestine issue has happened, we are going to see that rise even further. Um 84% of racialized Calgarians believe racism exists. How that's not 99 or 100, I don't know. And 66% of non-racialized Calgarians believe that racism exists. And we got to get that number up higher too, because you 33, uh, 34% are outliers need, need a convo. I want to say thank you to Chelsea Ward or Chelsea Branch, Cheryl Ward, and Alicia, Alicia Fritkin of HereToHelp.bc.ca of what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Their work and those cultural action tools are available. So please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understanding. I'm just lucky enough to highlight it and repeat it here in the hopes that people will do that work. Uh, racial or uh, internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence that Indigenous and marginalized folks uh, and equity uh, deserving groups experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. Uh, Donna Bevins, give her all your money for Christmas, please. She's at racialequitytools.org. She has tons of resource files, and I always encourage um, equity-seeking groups to unpack internalized racism, and she has what is internalized racism for folks willing to learn. Uh, Do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. You're on the C train, you see a Muslim woman being harassed. What do you do? You go to AFSC.org and you empower yourself with these tools in order to know how to properly intervene and de-escalate and help somebody feel safe rather than in danger. I wish that anybody who follows me on social media would also go to, um, and you can just Google this, but I know I've posted it numerous times, anti-racism organizational lead for the city of Calgary, giving um, ARAC committee presentation on the journey of becoming an anti-racism leader. It's a YouTube uh, link. It's available. I watched it. I enjoyed it. I encourage other people to do it as part of their anti-racism work, uh, which is called Action 57. Uh, Black Lives Matter activists locally, Taylor McNally and Adora Nofor, are being legally targeted. Please go to Stop the Stack YYC to learn more what to do and how to help. Uh, Taylor was just sentenced a sentence that's higher than the police officer that caused the violence against a woman who has later passed away. It, I will I will never understand how people can justify this. Uh, Indigenous people have been talking about our issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, public in, inquiries, uh, just to be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. 
Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize equity-seeking groups in their budget with gender equity plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party direct, directly negatively impacts equity-seeking people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform. We've just seen the newest one coming out from the Office of the Child and Youth Advocate violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women. Provincially, we have the 113 Pathways to Justice. Municipally, we have the White Goose Flying Report. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in all the institutions from health, education, justice, with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, and more. Google articles on how non-Indigenous Canadians can become allies because there's multiple articles about it. Stephanie Harp and I have talked uh, at length about the Missing Children's Society of Canada, the Aboriginal Alert. You can have that. If you follow me on social media, you see I share that regularly. Um, obviously, we're coming up to winter. And last year at this time, there was a statement that was put out by womenshomelessness.ca about the, the urgent action needed to protect the lives of Indigenous women, girls, two-spirit and gender diverse people experiencing homelessness. Uh, more data has come out about the drug price uh, crisis, and we are witnessing that genocide as well. So, you know, you can follow my friend Ewan Thompson and a lot of the work that he's doing. If you or someone you know is using substances, please do not use alone. If you are using alone, you can contact the National Overdose Response Service at 888-688-NORS to create an action plan so that we can save you because you matter. Uh, download the Brave or Doors app. There's also a Lifeguard app that some people have success in. Uh, so these there are tools to help you uh, so that we can get you sober because we all know that's the better lifestyle for everybody and we can get you housed. Anyway, if you're experiencing emotional distress after anything that we talked about today and need to talk, there's the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 855-242-3310. It is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They also have a website at hopeforwellness.ca with one of those little chat boxes. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit, you can call 844-413-6649. It is, again, 24-7 crisis line for people who need emotional assistance related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and Two-Spirit. Uh, there's a 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta at ssisa.ca, uh, Indian Residential School Survivor and Family Hotline at 866-925-4419, the Native Youth Crisis Hotline 877-209-1266, for non-Indigenous, there are usually functioning uh, distress center lines in your area. Locally, we have a functioning 211, and nationally, there is the new 988 number, but you can also call 
456-4566 or text at 45645. Uh, Crisis has a long list of other ones that are available. Kids Help Phone 1-800-668-6868. The following are two SLGBTQ crisis supports available in most areas across Canada. You can go to lifevoice.ca for a long list of crisis supports. The Trans Lifeline is 877-330-6366. The Trevor Project for two SLGBTQ LGBTQ youth is 866-844-7386. Again, you matter. And it was this religious belief system that was imposed on these lands. You have always been here. You have every right to lead every conversation. And I am grateful you are here. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. This is self-care, how we start having media representation <laughs> to speak freely without interruption, tone police, leadership shaming, having elaborate conversations without gaslighting questions. And um, a lot of people who don't want to hear Indigenous voices, but sure want to give us theirs, even if they don't know anything about colonialism, the constant surveillance of our people, our protests, our vigils and our rights. I and many others share info on microaggressions daily, so it's unacceptable to say them anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me are dealing with internalized racism or gatekeeping that survive off the status quo. People who are really in their trauma and stop people from doing the work deplete personal resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for me, Indigenous peoples, folks with disabilities, QT, BIPOC, and others. I do want to say thank you to my ancestors. Um, as you all know, my granny passed away in April, as did my grandpa. And uh, so we've had to change the script on how I say thank you to my granny. Uh, my mom as well, what strength looks like through your example. My dad for teaching me what's to be strong and blunt. <laughs> and my stepmom, who's from Austria and has taught me a lot about what it's like to be a new immigrant and her proud Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian is through her. I'm a second generation. And I want to say thank you to my husband uh, for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, and my support down this journey of the red road. He has witnessed decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from you daily. You have honored us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person and to try to do better so that the world is better for you and the next generations. I hope my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, again, where you can pledge your support. Uh, thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. About two years ago, uh, we were in dire straits, and you all helped us. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all of that. And uh, I also wanted to give an update. My husband starts a new job on Monday, and uh, we didn't want to really let folks know that he had lost his job because we didn't want to misuse your generosity. Uh, so well, I just want to say thank you for all you do and, and wish my husband and send lots of love and prayers for his new job in the hopes that this works for our family. But anyway, I would love to hear from you. We talked a lot about pretend Indians today. I'm sure you have some thoughts and opinions. NativeYYC at gmail.com is where you can send in your comments or your questions. I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. You can go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts or pin posts on social media. And I just want to end by giving side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradition.
My beautiful cousin responded, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you folks for listening. <laughs>